All right, sure. we are back. And uh, <laughs> um, this week we are Lexus King's Road. Oh, God. And I <laughs> are you prepared for this? Um, it's gotten to the point where I sort of want it to be him now. Me too. Just because it'd be I'm, the funniest. Right. Um, I'm joined, obviously, just heard his voice. Everyone knows the man. The third, basically the third mic on the show. For a long time, it was the battle between uh, Daniel Makabe and JML. For uh, Yeah, yeah. But now, uh, I think Joseph, I think you're catching up. Joseph. It might be true, uh, Ma- yeah. Yeah, Joseph Monticilli hose lick my balls like FIFA lollipops. Joseph, how you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing okay. My voice is still shot to shit. I've had a cough for like a week. Um, but it's actually better now than when I had to record my Secret Santo video. So I think I'm on the mend mostly. Thank you for mentioning that because there's so much news to talk about. But this morning I woke up and I listened. I watched that Secret Santos video. And I got a bone to pick with you. That's why I was messing with your name right now. Because normally I'm the most respectful boy who knows how to say yes. your name properly. But you know yes. what I heard on that video? Yeah, what did you hear? <laughs> I heard someone thanking Timothy R. Buckner. I and know. I was offended. I was I know. What was that? I think my brain was still like addled by the sickness sure, that it sure. went all the way around and got your name right. <laughs> <laughs> made you made you say my name right. I was taking yeah, I had back. to be I had to be <laughs> ill to nail it. Yeah, I was upset for that about that. That's why, like I said, I, I I got you. I you know I cannot I cannot say that that was on the fly. Every time I've like <laughs> said your name or thought about your name, I've thought about that line from Earl Sweatshirt. Um, unfortunately, just because I'm a fucking weirdo like that. But yeah, um, the Secret Santos video. You know what struck me on that? I was like, yeah, well, oh yeah, I forget that Filipino people are like basically mexican so all of your like spanish pronunciations were perfect i was just like oh yes 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 it was all so good i was just like jesus um i always kind of worry about that like i know i'm not gonna like nail like the japanese ones like i i pronounce a lot of japanese ones basically how most westerners do but i i do put some effort into the mexican ones so i take that as a great compliment thank you yeah, it was fantastic. The video was really good. And all the plebes, if they're listening to this podcast before it's out to the to the you know to the hoi polloi, um, unfortunately, I have to just wait for the video to come out. But if you're you know a big baller like me, a monthly a monthly donator, that's you right. Were able to the listen real to ones. It this morning, yeah. Um, no, it was really cool, and you got me excited for a lucha match, which you know is uh very rare, very rare indeed. <laughs> um, okay. So the big, the big, uh, the big egg, let's say, um, I was going to ask you, um, so you are one half of the big egg. Are you the yolk or are you the albumin? I am the big and okay, let's say the big. Colette is the egg. Yeah. The egg. All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. All right. I get that. Um, I don't know how she sees it, but that's how I see it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, the uh you know the long and is that do you is it waiting not waiting yeah waiting right no um wh park his podcast yes. is that the long and winding royal road or what is that called 
Yeah, his is the long and winding royal road, I believe. And your your YouTube series is the Walking is the it, King's Road. Walking the King's Road. Okay, so again, back to what we started this out. The name of the episode. Are you going to be walking Lexus King's Road? Are you excited for? <laughs> I don't Lexus know, man. King? I don't know if I don't know if I've yet to register as a Lex offender. You know. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, some of us. Some of us just we don't get busted, so we're just like uh, dabbling oh, in, in Lex Lex crimes. Oh, um, I don't know why they tried to make that happen, man. The internet they is didn't so weird. Tr- they did not try to make it happen. Like the people following him on Twitch were just saying it, and he just went along I know. with it. Because that's okay, the weirdest you, part. You're like one of the few people who I could actually bring this up to, and you might actually remember this. When This Week in Wrestling, with me and Pete, uh, the guest on the last episode of this podcast, if people listen to it, um, when we used to do the show This Week in Wrestling, we talked about MLW for a bit, and I talked about how kind of skeevy I found it that when they were doing the kind of the new school Hart Foundation and MLW with Teddy Hart and um, Brian Pillen Jr. and Davey Smith Jr., like... That they were doing like that every fucking video with them would have Pillman Jr. at the pool with a glass of wine. And I was just like with his family history of like alcohol and drug addiction. It's like kind of gross to be like you can never show him without like an alcoholic beverage in his hand. And it's like, yeah, like going into like this guy just does not have, you know, the best um the best mind when it comes to like what is like pc or just being like tasteful sure. like he's a very tacky man so of course when his fans are like we're we're the lex offenders he's like isn't that funny isn't that cool god the lex offenders and of course part of it too is that like his name came from like his abusive yeah. stepdad so weird Such well a and his dead dude man sister-in-law it's like our half sister like the name comes from his abusive stepdad and his dead half-sister. That's the part where you're like, again, I said this from the beginning when people were making fun of the name. I was like, you guys are all going to feel really fucking bad when you find out that like this name is coming from the even sadder part of this guy's family. Because like Everyone thinks, oh, Brian Pillman, you know, he died tragically in a car accident. He had a lot of demons. No, no, no. Like Brian Pillman Jr., his mom was not like, you know, a saint. And the rest of his family was not like, you know really great or whatever like this guy's got a lot of fucking problems in his past so you can almost give him a you can almost give him a pass for being so um so kind of like just not having a filter and not understanding how normal people think because like he's not he did not grow up around normal shit sure Um, it could not have been easy um sure but it's just like it's like it's like the only interesting thing about him because as soon as he starts working who could give a fuck you know Right. I was going to say, it's just like the, did you see the Lacey Von Eric clip that's going around again? I sure did, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like when you're like coming from this really tragic, fucked up family, you just really don't have a filter that normal people understand. So it's just like, yeah, of course, yeah, you're going to be that. a little bit off. Um, But really, I think the bigger picture thing here is not necessarily who is going to be the Triple Crown champion, you know, challenger, but um, why... And the kind of the geopolitics and when it comes to pro wrestling um, of this, because I think it's very easy for Western wrestling fans to look at Japan and want to map like American wrestling paradigms onto Japanese wrestling. 
Um, so a lot of people, you know, obviously there's like the Tanahashi is John Cena, right? People would say that. That I don't remember who they would compare um, Okada to, but you know, like they mm-hmm. would kind of do that where they would say like, you know, Okada is this guy, and and uh, you know, Nakamura he's like the Rock or something, whatever. You know, people used to say like when they were early Western fans were getting into Bushi Road, New Japan. Um, but one thing that people would like kind of put the again like model Western kind of. Uh, uh, ideals not uh, paradigm whatever again onto japanese wrestling is the idea that new japan was wwe and it's like this hegemon that's like the most powerful company and it's always going to be that way and it's that's not true in japan like mm-hmm. historically things have shifted and the balance of power has changed and one thing that is interesting to look at is that new japan is pretty firmly planted as having a working relationship with aew um yes but but New Japan is kind of on the downswing. And, you know, we've got the news of the new president, which will, that's a side story that we'll get to after this. Um, while All Japan is kind of on the upswing and All Japan has been drawing better. They've been booking better. They're building stars mm-hmm. and New Japan is on the downswing. And to look at it and go, OK, it's NXT, but it is WWE going. We're going to get into bed and have a working relationship with the. The number two Japanese company, men's Japanese company, whatever we want to say, who's working, building, and we've historically have a relationship with them in the past. They're building, they're on the upswing. And tides can change. And you can look at this and you can laugh at it because it is very funny to think about Lexus King challenging for the Triple Crown Championship. It is incredibly funny, yes. (laughs) Yes. but, But what it really points to is failing New Japan partnered with AEW and rising building all Japan partnered with NXT. And it is kind of interesting to see the politics and the way that those things now compare all Japan, you know, just an indie company that has name value, historical name value to new Japan owned by Bushi road, giant conglomerate billionaire company, right? It's not the same. It's not dollars to donuts, right? You know, basically it, it is dollars to donuts, but you know what you get my point it's not apples and oranges or whatever like but you kind of see what i'm talking about where this does speak to kind of political maneuvering that's not just isn't this funny it's also like uh, actually what's going on here no yeah there's a lot going on there and um we also have to remember too that like earlier in the year they lent shinsuke to noah so that they could run uh the big budokan show with muda and everything so it's clearly an avenue that uh, the WWE is trying to keep open, you know, like I feel like this year, especially I've been hearing so much more talk in general about like big stars uh, potentially signing again. Like that's always sort of like a talking point when someone's contract is up. But this year it's felt a little more um, closer to reality, especially since Osprey inked the deal with AEW. Um, now people are speculating nonstop about where Okada's going to go and all this and that. So yeah, things are definitely uh, changing as far as how Japan relates to the rest of the wrestling industry. Well, and you look at that and you talk about just even, you know, Osprey's gone, Okada, question mark, and and I said it, we'll get to it, Tanahashi going into the presidential role, you know, leaving 
to me, and I, I know I tweeted this out, obviously, um, that like my most cynical take on it is they want Tanahashi out of the ring. And the only way that they could get him to step away from wrestling was to offer him the president role. You know, even if it is just a figurehead role, it's the only sure. way that he can save face and not necessarily be like, I'm retiring. I'm too old. I can't keep up. It's like, OK, no, I've got I'm too busy. I'm much more important in the background. I can't keep wrestling. Right. Um, but it is like, OK, so if you lose Osprey, Okada and Tanahashi. Who does New Japan have? <laughs> They've got the failing, you know, failing, sad Sonata. Um, and then they've got <laughs> David falling Finley. apart Naito, and they've got yes, they've got David Finley, who's uh, uh, again like not. I mean, the better Finley just signed to NXT, right? So again, we talk about mm. that relationship. So um, yeah, like when I talk about AEW falling apart, and or not AEW, uh, well maybe maybe AEW's falling apart. <laughs> we talk about New Japan falling apart, and and all Japan being right there to pick up the pieces if they're being supported and bolstered by New Japan. Um, it's not out of the question if you lose your top three draws and you don't really have much else to fill in that spot. Like this shit can really fall apart quick. Well, I guess too that's part of the reason for the the United promotion group uh sure. just kind of keeping a steady cash flow for everyone going around you know like it, i i'm i'm assuming it will provide a certain level of cushioning for everyone involved new japan included and that is perhaps one factor for uh becoming a figurehead and a part of that moving forward too sure sure um Really, the saddest part of the whole thing is just DDT, like taking this like really sad background position where it's just like they're just at, just not in the conversation anymore. Where like even just a couple of years ago, it was like DDT promotion of the year, yeah. DDT building and building, and now it's like where I don't know what do they have? And I, again, I want to you know I want to stand up for them and fight and be that person, but I'm you know I'm not I don't dig my heels in and support a company no matter what company it is. It's just not my right. my 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 style. Um, you know, so to me, I'm just like, ah, it sucks because I they have a lot of wrestlers that I really love and they're continuing to have some really good matches. But got the champion going out injured. You've got, you know, the whole situation with the with what's going to happen vis-a-vis that with Chris Brooks um, and, you know, all that. But it is like there's a lot going on politically. And unfortunately, it's like DDT felt like, OK, they're going to be the clear number two men's promotion. OK, they're gone. Noah just falling completely apart the second that muda leaves um all japan just picking up the scraps and like quickly right. bolstering up and and being support and it's not out of the question that wwe would support a a secondary third tertiary brand just to kind of be disruptive to you know i mean you look at the ecw thing and you look at wwe you know pushing ecw just to disrupt wcw as the number two brand like could you not see WWE being more than willing to, you know, waste money to support all Japan just so that it hurts new Japan? I mean, that's not another question. So for sure. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. It's not. Um, either way, was there other, yeah, there's some other news there that I hit that I, you know, thought about, uh, thought about talking about, but I kind of forgot as I was going through everything. So, Talked about Tanahashi becoming president. Um, it's exciting for, you know, 
for some things, I think. It'll be interesting to see what it really means. Um, if Tanahashi is like president and how hands on he is, does Gato definitely to be, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, have the have the final word when it comes to booking and all that stuff. Who knows? I think honestly it's probably time for Gato to maybe let some other people be more involved in the booking because he's Oh my god, really it's stale. been time for a few years now. Like sure. it sure, really sure. has been. Uh yeah, I, I one hopes Tanahashi uh has a positive effect on the company, like in a creative way. I think Okada has been on the record in like interviews asking for the company to be a little to have a more um talent focused approach to how they do business and i imagine it'll be more kind of like back-end things like that for the most part uh, as opposed to like um obvious creative choices happening in front of our eyes sure 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 yeah um i feel like that's a lot of japanese japan heavy kind of talk there which obviously you know I've, who do i have on here but someone who's I don't think of you as like a Japanese wrestling guy, but I think that kind of a lot of people probably do because of your, you know, walking the the, the King's Road series, you know, like that, that like people think of you as a Japanese wrestling guy, right? Oh, yeah. I get that so much online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are a so, lot of people who just project a certain idea of the things I watch and the things I like onto me. Sure, but again, like we are recording, uh, you know, Saturday night, and everyone knows Saturday night is all right for fighting, and you are a, a, a bone bread, bone deep collider. But is there any other news you want to talk about? Maybe coming off of collision that just finished, or anything in general, other news that you want to hit before we talk about the this wrestling show we're here to review? I mean, it's not really news, but like Eddie Kingston's gonna be wrestling Brian Danielson again on Wednesday, and that's just like. Kind of this perfect. has been a weirdly stacked year for the very, very end of the year, you know? Like, usually around now, like around Christmas weekend, yeah. I have a good idea of where everything is settled as far as the year-end awards and all that. And I don't this year. Like, in the next six days, it could really shift up because we have a potential for Eddie Kingston or Brian Danielson Moving on into the Continental Classic final, maybe John Moxley does it. All three of those guys are like wrestler of the year contenders, and depending on who they go, what matchup gets booked for the pay-per-view, that could really shift things up. And in the other side of the world, in Japan, we have the astronauts who are both also contenders for the top slot on that list. They have a big, you know, tag match on the 30th against Crazy Lovers in a highly anticipated rematch. So it's like, I can't lock anything down until yeah. next year. So it's it's quite exciting. There is an actual race going on. Um, I'm waiting for CM Punk fan cams to drop because he's working the house shows with Dom. <laughs> That's going to be fun. I know. Why am I here? I should be there. Yeah. <laughs> I should be at the... Because that's like that's in my neighborhood. The, yeah, uh, the Kia Forum. The yeah, that's right by. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't even know when that's happening. It might be happening. Honestly, tonight. that is such a great stylistic pick. For yeah, well, punk did you to work? It's genius you know to I, have it be dumb. You know, I hate saying this because you know, I, I just, I, it's a really bad habit. But I don't know if you saw. I tweeted it, but it's just like, oh, okay, 
a young baby face who's not physically gifted and natural in the ring who gets a bunch of heat by being surrounded by hot women i don't understand what cm punk seems in dominic mysterio like (laughs) dominic mysterio is young cm punk like it's just it's the same fucking guy a guy who totally fits a seat on the mic like not a natural but gets tons of heat and is surrounded by hot chicks like come on you know but but uh but yeah like of course punk saw him and saw money in him because he saw himself he saw young cm punk and i think he could bring him around and definitely i don't see why he couldn't especially you you talk about the history between punk and ray ray was like the first big name that punk wrestled like you know big big tv name Um, obviously everyone saw it it was a big deal because it was you know the stuff with red and and mysterio and loki and punk and all that like you know there's tons of good stuff to check out there um and you know um also the stuff with eddie obviously and there's a connection there you know so yeah and there is the history between ray and punk feuding that having a feud in wwe that involved a baby dominic dominic mysterio as a child so there is all that connection there so yeah like of course he's going to want to wrestle him and and as you said stylistically it's perfect because I think Punk can definitely make something out of someone like that. He definitely knows how to tell a guy who's not super athletic, you know, how to how to like make a match work and and yeah. do the stuff that looks good, you know. Definitely. And uh Dom works well because he seems to be like really fluid in terms of like approaching a match as his opponent needs of him and he is clearly heavily minded towards working like you know like shitty chicken shit heel stuff and yeah punk's the perfect guy to engineer that kind of stuff with it'll be i'm incredibly excited for those fan cams they're gonna be like maybe they're not gonna be great but i feel like it will tell us a lot about just what both punk and dom moving forward will look like in the wwe yeah it's important to see what yeah what punk means in wwe but you know again like you said it's a race in some ways i could do the poison pill i could be the negative nancy on it and i could say the fact that it's still a race at this point doesn't necessarily speak to how great the year has been but how just there's not the standout this is the person run away with it they're so great in the past but that's not necessarily bad because it's it's fun. It's fun to still kind of have it up in the air and try to decide it is who it is. So much more fun, especially because, um, man, I don't know. There are there are good and correct answers, but they are so boring. <laughs> um, right. Like as as much as I love, as much as honesty uh, is the key priority when I'm putting together the lists and stuff. There's also the part of me that wants to be like, oh, I want to. I want to have a, a fun pick, you know? I want to crown someone who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just part of content creator brain. And there is definitely a boring answer this year. So I'm hoping one of the sure. more exciting ones kind of takes over in this last week. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we could talk about it here. Um, it, I, I don't know if there's any other... Any other news, notes, anything else like that you want to hit, talk about before we move on, but we can move on to the DPW... Um, and I do want to say when we talk about boring answers, this might not be a boring answer, but it is, you know, doing these back to back with doing action last week with Pete Mm. and doing DPW this week with you. Um, maybe it's not a boring answer. Maybe it's exciting, but I hate to say this because I think for the past year, maybe year and a half, 
I've kind of hedged my statements and constantly said, you know, DPW in action, those are my promotions of the year. They're, they're the two best promotions in the world. And I still believe that, but I do think that we're getting to the point where I kind of have to stop saying that. And I hate to say this because I love Matt, but I think DPW is clearly breaking out ahead of action and is the promotion of the year. Oh, no, yeah, just, it's it's yeah. been heading that way, and um, it sort of cannot be understated, by the way, that a big part of that has been Violence is Forever being less action regulars and more DPW regulars. That's fair, that's, not, that's fair. That's not the only factor, but it is sort of like, um, just when you look at the cards, it's it's yeah. it sure helps. It sure does help. Yeah, when you look at this, the women's division main eventing the show with the women's title and that title match, it was huge. But there's like so much else there as well, and it's just it's really, it's really tough to argue. But um, yeah, we talk about easy, the easy pick or whatever, like DPW promotion of the year. I don't think there's, I don't think there's really much of an argument. Like if people people want to say WWE because they had a couple months of drawing houses or whatever, but the product is dog shit. Um. AEW just feels like all you're doing is really trying to like you're just really a fucking lazy wrestling fan who's only trying to watch American TV. Oh, it's um, not AEW. <laughs> yeah. It's just they are it's not. They are not in the conversation, my guys. That's not an honorable mention. That's not on no. the list. You're not hearing yeah. about them is what I'm telling y'all. <laughs> yeah, like it's just it's 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 really again if you're listing either of the you know macro american wrestling companies you're just what you're really just saying is that you're a very lazy wrestling watcher basically is all you're saying for sure uh, yeah i would raise you though a cmll oh sure sure i you know that's why i said american american yeah yeah you know yeah yeah cmll of course um there was <laughs> there was a thought because i was talking about the politics with uh you know all Japan, New Japan, WWE, AEW, all of that. And I was thinking about like how AEW is kind of more open. And I was like, ah, maybe New Japan is more open. The really the only like really hardcore political line is between CMLL and and AAA. Triple yeah, A. Basically. Right? That's the only one. And then that causes like some division between stuff. It's like you have to respect your partner, blah, blah, blah. But what I did think about when I was thinking about that earlier today was what crossed my mind was. Like, while that's the only, like, really hard line, oh my god, why are they, why are they like that? Why are they so, why do they have to be so rigorous about this? But it's like, if you're in CMLL's shoes, why would you not be, like, more Because the idea that you're like, no, like, it's totally cool, we'll just let our wrestlers work with this company that's complete dog shit. Like, that's, I get that. Like, I really get where CML is coming from. Because you've got this, the number two, in quotation marks, promotion in your country is just this, like, fucking carny dog shit, like, fucking just one of the worst <laughs> promotions in the world. Everything they do is fucking terrible. Like, why would you not oh, be like, man. no, fuck them. We don't want anything to do with them. You know what I mean? You get you get my point? Yeah, CMLL in no way <laughs> needs AAA's talent, support, no. platform, any of it. They simply do not this is the oldest promotion in wrestling history that we're talking about and they're having right. a great year they're gonna be fine without triple a for sure yeah. and to and the idea that they're like yeah we don't want our wrestlers to be associated with like one of the worst wrestling companies in the world and like i get that. like they're allowed to say that and i understand why they would say it's 
it's basically the same idea as why you know aew wrestlers are not wrestling gcw shows as much anymore right it's like like when when you see this promotion and it's this bad you just go like no i don't want my wrestlers involved with this like it's <laughs> it's bad for business for sure. <laughs> like yeah so yeah i can't blame them for that but yeah cmll definitely in the conversation i get where you're coming from and and probably i mean if we're being honest you're probably right they probably are the promotion of the year you know for my taste obviously not going to end up on my number one spot but we'll be in the conversation you know top five top ten we'll definitely be there for sure and dpw is not like distant from the top of the list either they are well in the promotion of the year conversation and i certainly wouldn't turn my nose up at anyone who picks them as number one um yeah, they, they've been having a great year. And it's sort of amazing how they've done that just by avoiding ever being bad. Right. Like, it's so wild to think that that's like the, the make or break thing where, yeah, they just don't do stupid shit, man. It's just a good show every single right. month. That's all we've really asked of any of them. Run a good show, have good matches, no stupid bullshit storylines. You know what I mean? And we'll talk, we should talk about some of the storylines and stuff like this that's in here that's really actually great. But yeah, yeah, like the idea that like you just don't give me anything too stupid. Don't book yourself into a corner where you refuse to give me a winner or a loser in a way that's like, uh, you know, unsatisfying and just have like a good show. And that's what they do. Um, I... I will say that the closest they got to kind of like tripping themselves up was just bad luck on their part. Like, damn, it's not their fault that both Lucky Ali and Jay Malachi got signed. But I don't know. Maybe you could have had Alec Price win the belt. Um, Whatever. I don't know. That that, that was the weird little trip up. But, you know, it led to good things. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I have I do have an opinion on that and we'll talk about it because I think I might go the other way on that. But let's open up the show. We've got kind of this the pillars of DPW with Violence is Forever, as you talked about, the aforementioned, I should say, Violence is Forever, and LeBron Cozone taking on Team Filthy, um relatively relative newcomers to the promotion who were like ready to become the the you know the new pillars of the company. Um I just thought that this kicked ass. This was like just so much fucking action. What you expect from six guys like this, but not not just like a ton of just whatever. Like there was still tons of meat on the bone. There was a lot to appreciate. There were stories. There was like some actual detail to it that felt like you were getting something out of it, which I really, really appreciated. You didn't get that like, Oh, let's like save the, you know, the matches. Let's save the interesting stuff. Let's not, you know, have a ton of Lawler and Cozone. We even get Cozone pinning Lawler, which is huge when you really think about it in the context of everything, especially with, again, you talk about DPW not being dog shit, not being bad. That's the point. Like they're getting behind Cozone, a guy who's been kind of presented as a, an Ulcerand, an afterthought, but they're like, they're behind him and they actually make something out of him getting a huge scalp here. Um, you know, I've, I've stopped myself in the past from saying that cause it's, you know, it's offensive to native Americans or whatever, but getting a big win here, getting something that means something by pinning fucking Tom Lawler, not like just a nobody. He doesn't just pin like one of the rest coast wrecking crew. Even if I love those guys, he pins the big name and that's huge. Yeah. Um, on top of just my boy, 
you know, everyone knows, you know, Royce Isaacs hitting the vertical suplex, not just walking around the ring, but going, stepping up the stairs, holding Kevin Koo in the air in a vertical suplex. That was one of the craziest things I've seen in the history of wrestling. This man is an absolute fucking freak. Just the power, the, the, I mean, again, like Royce, I don't think gets the credit. And I even had to be told by Royce this, like, that he doesn't give the credit for how strong he is. He's as strong as anybody in wrestling. The idea that you're holding a man in a vertical suplex and you're walking up steps, just just walk up steps, just normal walk up steps, and don't get tired. This motherfucker's <laughs> doing it while carrying a man. It's it's crazy, dude. This guy is a fucking freak. And then later in the match, after I think it's the post match, when he grabs Koo to pull up, put him up for the all seeing eye. He did he motherfucking perks this guy up onto his shoulders into the awesome bomb position and it's like it's not just a deadlift it's a like this man is just fully asleep lift like ku doesn't even know what's happening before he's in the air it's it's fucking crazy like royce is just a freak of nature with how powerful he is um but yeah like i said this is like major storytelling on top of getting tons of action uh team filthy i mean and you got Violence is Forever have the history as being former members of Team Filthy. So all these guys are like, again, there's a lot here that's not just like, oh, random six-man opener match. No, there's like a ton here. And then you get the post-match stuff with MXM coming out. And and these guys, I don't know where you come down on MXM, but like, you know, I don't even care about them as wrestlers. I haven't seen a ton of their work in WWE, but they are poised to basically be the biggest thing in wrestling. They are absolutely what indie wrestling needs right now is these huge personalities i know that they can deliver in ring but it really doesn't matter when you're talking about dropping these guys into the dpw tag team division where they can be okay and they're surrounded by such great workers that they're going to look great and they're going to be these huge like jump off the page personalities that can actually elevate all of tag team wrestling on the american indies and, and as long as they're booked right and they just pick the right spots, this could actually be huge. This could really be like a, a new Young Bucks. You know what I mean? Like these guys could end up being in that same stratosphere as where the Young Bucks were a couple years ago, where you're talking about something that actually is a tag team on the indies that make a difference when it comes to drawing and and like people paying attention. Um, But yeah, I feel like I did a bit of a soliloquy there. Joseph, what did you think about this six man tag team match? No, yeah, this was super good. Um, uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of everyone of a lot of the names here. I have not seen a lot of Cozone's work up to this point. Just like any, like just a bunch of random matches from DPW, and this was the first time where he really did stand out to me. And I think obviously that's what the match wanted of me, right? He gets the big win, he pins Lawler and everything. And I thought he looked really solid here, like exciting levels of solid. Like I'm really hopeful for what they do with him moving forward. Um everything else was just like exactly as good as you need it to be for an opener. You know, it wasn't all just like dumb meaty um uh, action stuff. They're still working a pretty good tag match in there um and that's that's what you get with violence is forever and putting them in this kind of setting with these names in it um as for mxm i also just don't know their work i don't watch 
WWE matches like that. Um, but they had good fire here. They came off as big stars. Um, good promo to set everything up for the new year. So I- I'm willing to check out what they're going to do in DPW. This feels like uh, the kind of place that will that will understand how to maximize the use of them. Yeah. And again, like, you know, talking about violence is forever and uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, like I saw them have their first interaction with each other live and it was, you know, it really jumped off the page for me. I think you can find it on YouTube now um, so more people can check it out. It's not just a Tim match of the year, you know, level match, which I think that kind of the Barnett, Jeff Jeff Cobb match, like kind of hit that level until eventually I was able to upload that. And it was a couple of years later. Um, This is a match that people can watch and see how good they are. But again, you see like, a microcosm of it here and that's that's it's two tag teams that really have great chemistry with each other and they they brought it again right here um again this is not because i'm friends with guys in both teams i hate having to say that kind of stuff i really try to not be friends with wrestlers um you know for the most part but speaking of not being friends with wrestlers did you see dylan hales hitting that that sweet uh, texas cloverleaf no, I did not. What oh, was that? there's a there's a YouTube clip or a Twitter clip that went up that was like Dylan Hales grabbing a Texas cloverleaf on some guy. It's pretty sick. OK, cool. Yeah, like I said, not being friends with wrestlers. Um, follow this up. When we talk about not being friends with wrestlers, we've got Nicole Matthews taking on you. Um, Joseph, I'll let you open this up. Let's talk about uh, your girl. One of the most underrated wrestlers i would say of the 2000s nicole matthews what do you think man she's gotten so good so so good like even better than she was you know um if we're like we're approaching the year and i introduce a new category in my videos the input over output category and i think nicole matthews might just be like a solid pick for that category spoilers everyone because all her performances of late especially in dpw have just been so good like man uh i am so so on you just because especially if she's in team 200 kg sometimes they work a little closer to like shtick instead of like um using their size and power to be kind of like domineering and i thought that nicole here really found like a great balance of making you feel like a threat moving in and around her grinding her down to the mat so good and i'm i'm so glad she won too because that is an um exciting opportunity for the new year but yeah just another great performance uh from nicole matthews here yeah i mean i think i you know i spoiled it a little bit out there i put it out there that i think that this is probably the best nicole matthews performance that i saw all year we're really hitting late in the year here but and again i do have to caveat that with saying that i never i still have not watched the cascadia cup and i know that nicole has some really good performances oh man in that. no you're yeah. missing out did you watch the masha yeah. match from defy no. yes that's yes, another yes, yeah that's an excellent that's one phenomenal but but this is again it speaks to what you're saying there about you is that i've i've seen you have really good matches with mm-hmm people that I consider wrestler of the year level wrestlers, yeah, right? That yeah, makes sense. And that's kind of that's kind of the issue here is that I see Nicole here and she opens this match up and and it's so funny because you know I sent that out there and then Nicole responds being like, oh why are my best performances where I get my ass kicked? And I was like, no 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 she's so you good don't at understand. it. <laughs> You're really she is really good at getting her ass kicked, but the best parts of this match were Nicole in control. 
No, that's and true. Talk- that is true. Yeah. I talked to Dan about this, you know, Dan Makabe. And like the thing about it is that Nicole right here, she was working. She was working in a lot of ways somewhere in between Dan Makabe and Zack Sabre Jr., which is like being able to be a technical grappler who's able to still be a heel, but wrestle right. against a bigger, more impressive opponent. And there's not really a lot of wrestlers who are good at that. You know what I mean? And it's also sure. like a really, a really particularly hard thing to pull off. And she did it amazingly here. Like the way that she was able to be a shitty heel while also being so technically impressive, so quick and snappy and fast that like it's again impressive. It's so talented. It's so skillful, but you're still able to hate her and still able to be like, she's such a piece of shit for doing this while also while being so technically skilled and being the, you know, the better the clearly better wrestler also still being able to be a believably beatable heel who's chicken shit and having to, you know, take underhanded techniques and, and is able to like bump and sell and, and be a chicken shit basically. Um, it's just phenomenal the way that she's able to layer all of that. She's a threat. She's so talented. She's so skillful, but you don't get behind her. You don't root for her. And you also think that her opponent is able to kick her ass at any moment. And then she still sneaks out the victory in the perfect way with the roll-up and is a complete piece of shit when she wins and just the most sore winner that you've ever seen in your life doing the <laughs> yeah. fucking crowd crying face. Like, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's the most, it's just the best execution. Like I said, of something that you rarely get to see there. There's not a lot of people who are able to, to do all of that. The way that she's able to do it like i said it's rare it's rarefied territory and that's because she spent so much of her career like just as a shitty heel tag wrestler where a lot of what she was asked to do was just to bump and stooge for all the heroes but now she's been able to layer in like a really refined ability on the mat like she has gotten so much better at just like the nuts and bolts of it down on the mat working with people and just to add on here while we're talking about great nicole matthews performances by the way uh dusk pro promoted by our dear friend parm uh the main event of their last podcast yeah the main event of their last (laughs) show was makabe versus nicole three and it is amazing quite simply one of the best indie matches of the year uh, and everyone should go watch that. Now, their first match was my match of the year that year. And this one, I'm still debating if I like that one more than this one. And that really, again, speaks to the quality. This is a better year, so it probably won't end up in the conversation for match of the year. But it's still in the conversation as their best match, which is... I would say it's on. their best match. Um, yeah. uh, slightly comfortably, but they're all great. You know, like, I, I just thought this one was really, really excellent. And I have a feeling it might, like, climb up the rankings a little more than I initially sure. expected by the time I have to set all the entries down. And this is not the shit that you're hearing about on the, you know, the match of the year lists and other places. Unfortunately, people are not paying attention to this stuff. And it really, it, it really does suck. Um, Because someone was, someone did just message me about, like, what's your match of the year look like? And I'm like, I don't really do that. But, you know, this is what it would look like. And that was one of the matches I mentioned, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just like, eh, either way. Um, following that, something that, 
maybe won't end up on my match of the year list, but uh, will has some people that might end up on my wrestler of the year list, and definitely has some people that will end up on my match of the year list in other matches. We've got Titus Alexander and Brian Keith taking on Jake Something and Mike Bailey. Um, this was obviously a really cool showcase for a lot of different personalities a lot of different dynamics and i thought that they did a really really great job of not only um telling the story of that in the ring but i have to give a shout out again to commentary um you've got the best commentary team in all of professional wrestling plus veda scott um here where i will say her work in DPW has been my favorite of her present day work. That's fair. That's fair. By I will not quite a long shot. About that. Like yeah. I think in DPW she comes the closest to like recapturing the shimmer magic of when she was doing color commentary there. That's fair. That is fair. And I will not argue with you about that. But what I will say is that I adore the way that Caprice Coleman and Ian in this match are talking about how this is, like, clearly, you see this match on paper. I said it when we did, like, a little bit of a preview talking about this show. How this match is clearly a storyline, a setup, where you're talking about the history between Speedball and Brian Keith. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Jake something getting set up to challenge for that national championship that Brian Keith has. You're talking about debuting Titus Alexander as someone who's in the conversation with these guys. But it's all about singles wrestlers and that story. But this commentary team, Caprice and Ian, go out of their way to be like, oh, it's Rich Bokini. It's, yeah, it's Caprice and Rich. Um, And they're talking about, like, whatever team wins this is in the conversation for a tag team title shot. (laughs) And And they're not just, like, throwing it out there. Like, they're making it clear, you know? And they're, like, presenting that as, like, true. So I'm just like, I love that. I absolutely love that they're not just like, again, seeing what what I'm seeing, which is just like, this is just about, you know, the the single stories. But they're like really talking about this is a, and and then the way that the match is actually done, like you can kind of see that. And then you get the post-match promo with um with speedball and something that feels like there's something there. Something, something, what's my name? Something. Um <laughs> but uh I absolutely adored this, and I have to say that you know while it's not an eye-opener for me because i have relatively recently and really vocally talked about how much i think that tydex alexander has grown in the past few months to being a guy who really deserves a lot of the praise he was getting too early before like he was a big major important cog of this match he really helped keep the story of this match and and it really added a unique detail to the match that I enjoyed quite a bit, which was the like Brian Keith. I talked about, I talked about this when I talked about the live performance of Brian Keith um, at, uh, at uh, the West coast pro show that I went to and seeing just how smart of a wrestler he is. This is another example of just how smart he is because in this context, Brian Keith could have just been Brian Keith. He does his thing. He, you know, hits all of his spots. He's wrestling a guy who's coming for his title and a guy who he has like major history with. But instead, like he was pretty good about letting the the, the most unique detail of this match shine through, which is that Brian Keith was slightly influenced by a really shitty heel. And Titus is, you know, a fucking asshole, a complete prick, 
the guy who, you know, instead of at the end of the match shaking hands, he gives the finger because he's a, a, just a prick through and through. And Brian Keith w- allowed himself to be somewhat influenced by having this bad attitude, piece of shit as his partner. And I, I really, when the match started, I was kind of hoping that that's where we would end up. And then I really, really appreciated seeing that the catharsis as we dealt through and got to it. Brian Keith didn't really waver from being Brian Keith. But he was more than willing to take some shortcuts that were pushed along brought by his shitty heel tag team partner. And I really appreciated that. And I thought that in a weird way, Titus Alexander was, he was not, people say, oh, you know, this person was the glue, right? And they, a lot of times when people say that, they mean like physically the person who was always in the right spot and made things flow and connect and made sure that nothing ever felt awkward. And none of these guys really need that because they're all insanely talented. But what Tidex Alexander was, was he was the glue for the narrative of the match. The storyline right. of the match, which was this arc of of Brian Keith, like slightly being influenced negatively. And I really, really appreciated that. But Joseph, what did you uh, what did you think about this here tag team match? I thought this was really good. Um, I'm one of those Titus Alexander skeptics. Just because he was getting so much praise, um, he's pushed so hard in those West Coast promotions. And what I've come to find with him is that I really enjoy him as like a shitty stooge heel. Like that's just the perfect spot for him right now. Um, and he was able to show that off here. Um, he was bumping for the baby faces. He didn't do those awful, awful punches that he did during the hero tag, which is a plus. That's addition via subtraction. Um, And everyone else played their role really well. I don't see a lot of Jake Something's work, but he looked great here. Like, that man was hitting the ropes like a monster. Holy shit. Um, Yeah. And he's a fucking beast. Yeah, it's crazy. It looked nuts. Just him running the ropes. Uh, I can only imagine what it looks like in person. One thing that did start to lose me is when Speedball and uh, BK start doing their, like, touring match, the chop thing. Like, I've just seen it so much. I have seen it so, so much that I just need them to do something different is all. That's all I'm asking. Uh, Like, they do the back chops every single time. Uh, But otherwise, there was nothing really bad here. It was all incredibly, really well worked and a really good showcase of everyone involved, including people that I either didn't know or had some doubts about. So I think that's a plus. Yeah, I will say that I agree with you for the most part. I talked about it the last time that these two did this here, which was that Brian Keith, it was the first time that he did the uh, the parting the mullet thing. So it's like it's just adding like some detail, even if it is just the chops and it's the back chop thing. It was the first time he did the parting the mullet. And then here, um, he also added a little detail, which was just that, like, as he was waiting for the back chop, he stopped, turned around, and he said, do it, motherfucker. And, like, th- that, that was is... a good one. Yeah, that yeah, was a good that... one, I will admit. So that's the thing about Brian Keith is that while he is doing the same thing that you've seen from him before, he does add personality to it. And that's that's the stuff where I talk about how Brian Keith is just, like, clearly a TV-ready wrestler is that this guy is like, he's really ready to move to the big time because he's got that personality. He's got that, you know, that that next level stuff. Um, but I get what you're saying because it, it is becoming repetitive with them. And and that why that is why it was nice to have the other guys. And it is also why it's nice to see 
then we'll talk about it, I guess, maybe with the promo. But it is nice to see that I might as well talk about it here. There is a later on promo. We get Jake something, Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey starts it out. It's actually one of the better Bailey promos that I've seen um, because I think Bailey is a pretty weak promo in general. And Bailey is focusing on Titus and he's saying, you've got this. Give me the finger. You think you're the tough guy. Um, I hope you can get some real confidence instead of just this fake confidence that makes you feel strong laughing at him. And then something grabs the mic and something says, I'm singularly focused. I don't got the time to think about Titus Alexander right now. Maybe I'll get to him later. BK, I'm coming for your ass. I'm coming for the title. And that's the thing that's the positive to me. Because like I said, Bailey and Titus or Bailey and Keith might be getting a little bit boring and repetitive. But that's not where we're going. We're going to Keith and something, and that's exciting. And that is, yeah. Yeah, that is quite an interesting matchup for the New Year shows. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to it. And yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that this is one of the better uh, Bailey promos because I don't watch Mike Bailey cut promos. So when I saw this, I was just like, ooh, let's not let him do that again. (laughs) Uh, Definitely not not a strong suit. No, no. I always hearken back. I've you know talked about it a thousand times. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. But the best of the best, uh, Grisham versus Bailey, CZW. At the end of the match, they let Bailey cut a promo, and he's he just won the tournament. The crowd should be behind him, and he cuts a promo that's so smug and so French that like <laughs> he turns this Philadelphia crowd against him. Like they should they should love him and be like cheering for him, but he's just so. He's just not good at being a babyface on the mic, which is crazy because he's yeah. one of the best in-ring babyface of the past 20 years. But like he's so bad at being a babyface on the mic. It's it's really why the Takeshita Bailey feud ended up being like Bailey was the heel. You know, it's like this guy is just not good at being a babyface when when he has to like get into like talking on a mic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um pull this up. We've get, we get this amazing um, video package setting up the history of the feud between BK Westbrook and Andrew Everett. And it's set to, I think it's a, is it a Nirvana song? I, I don't even know. I believe it's Muse. I looked it up. Yes, 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 yes. As I was watching. It is a Muse song. And... This is this is what we talk about when we talk about DPW being the promotion of the year. This is the the whole point is this kind of fucking video package. This was amazing. You hit the background story. I I always think about BK right and out of this world the the tag team with Ace Royal and that he was trained by Ace Royal, but I forget that he was trained by Ace Royal at the CWF training academy right like i don't really think about that and this is the history with cwf you get andrew everett's dad involved all of this and the fact that they hit all of the notes and they set this up and then we get into this match and obviously you know it's a no dq whatever match it's got a lot of gaga but it's really really enjoyable for what it is um this is another shining beacon of a match when it comes to commentary but Joseph, what did you think about the the pre-match video and the match itself? 
No, yeah, so good. That hype video was excellent. As someone who didn't uh, follow the feud in real time, just bam, all the points I needed, all the points that are going to come out in the match. Um, this is so efficiently done. Uh, they're better than some of the AEW hype videos, like just in terms of pacing. Um, I always mention this. It is a small thing, but AEW hype videos always feel like they end too soon. They feel abrupt for some reason. Like they just haven't nailed that kind of music video pacing that works for pro wrestling. And I think that DPW has. This was a great, great video that made the match feel as massive as it should. Yeah, that video was like epic. It was like epic level. But what did you think about the match? So close. They were so close to great. Uh, yes. I really wanted to give it to them. I really, really did. Um, but it suffered from a similar thing that a lot of DPW gimmick matches suffer from, which is that it did go just the slightest bit too long. Um, shave off a few more minutes. This would be excellent. Um, but they did so much right. They really did. Um, Everett just being a bump freak. Uh, BK Westbrook stooging for the first like five minutes, just being an absolute piece of shit the whole time. J yes, just absolutely great stuff for so much of it. Uh, just spread the slightest bit too thin. Uh, but it, it, because of that, it is still very, very good. Yeah, I have to give again. I mentioned the you know the the promo video reminding you of the history between these guys when it comes to CWF. But but what these guys do in the match is they deliver against the CWF curse when it comes to blood. And Andrew Everett hits a gusher and absolutely leaks like a faucet, which I do enjoy, um, you know, getting to see some, some, some non-CWF legitimate blood bath. But like you said, it does meander a bit in the middle that could have been cut down. You don't need that. Um, Especially because you've got so much cool stuff in here, you've got the Arabian press, you know, the the moonsault with the with the chair. You've got a ton of cool things that tell the story and tell the, the you know the background between the two, and play off of the history in a way that you don't need to again stretch it out, like you said, get it just a little bit too thin. Um, but once again, as I mentioned, the tour de force is the commentary because in the opening five minutes or so, when when BK Westbrook is bumping like a freak and taking all of this, like the commentary talking about Andrew Everett is one of the only people that you're going to see in a blood feud like this who's going to be hitting moonsaults, you know, within the first 15 seconds of the match. Right. Because he's so adept as a high flyer that this is he knows that these are his best weapons, even in a fight. Like, even in a street fight, death, death match, whatever. And the commentary did such a good job of setting that up that I believed it, you know? And in a lot of ways, it'd be very easy to look at that and go, this makes no fucking sense, and people love to point at that kind of stuff. But no, the commentary did such a good job of being like, Andrew Everett is such an adept high flyer that it makes sense that he's going to, even in a fight, he's going to high fly because that's his best weapons. I loved that. I loved the finish. The big, you know, you know, uh, super off the ladder choke slam that would make uh, that would make even a uh, uh, Takayama proud. Not Takayama. What the fuck am I? Taway proud. Taway, yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like great fucking finish. Um, yeah, but as you said, a little bit too long. 
The post-match I thought was really good because you do need to redirect BK in a way because like he is a man without anything. And this is a really, really great match to not only like kind of in this feud, but also redirect BK to do whatever you want to do with him. You can double down on him being a shitty heel, which I think makes sense because he's so good at it. But you could also go the route of turning him into a babyface because you could probably use a, a solid babyface like him. But your roster's cleared, his unit's cleared, and this was a great match and a great finish and post-match to set up like, I don't know what we're going to do with this guy next, but it's going to be exciting, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for BK here, and he really did impress me here. Like, I do love that he was focused on just bumping, bumping, bumping for Everett in the first few minutes. Like, that, something like that is such an easy way into my heart, where it's just like, okay, you, you get it, that you understand that you're here to eat shit. That is your job here, is to just eat shit continuously. Um, and man, some of his cutoffs too that f5 hotshot was gross yeah. looked yeah. amazing um very excited about these two now um just just a little bit more editing and yeah the the the, the heights that are possible here are incredibly interesting incredibly exciting um and now i feel way more uh I'm much more likely to pay closer attention when there's a BK Westbrook match announced. I know you and Quentin kind of talked him up during like the SCI yeah. and his st stuff before that, but this was the performance where I'm really like, okay, I there's definitely something here. Yeah, yeah, th there is something there. He is a guy that's in that conversation as the next. He's <laughs> again, I hate to even steal it from the promo, but he's you know not next up anymore. He's now up. Like he is the guy because, um, yeah, he's just he's incredibly talented. And as you talked about, it's not just how talented he is, but it's also that like he gets it. He gets his role. He gets his spot and he knows what he needs to do. Um, follow this up with a little bit of an angle. The angle is the the re debut of Bojack, um, which I think plays into the title match in a way. We'll, we'll talk about when we get there. But Oliver Sawyer shows up playing the you know the stereotypical overly confident heel who just gets the shit kicked out of him and bojack just demolishes him under a minute um not much to talk about here if you have any other thoughts about this uh bojack's cool oliver died everything is as it should be good stuff perfect follow this up with the next pre-match promo video that really, again, speaks to why DPW rocks the history between the work horsemen and and it's like it's an interesting like kind of thing because it's like the idea seems to be it's the story is just the work horsemen being the champions and. um, You know, West Coast, not West Coast, um, Motor City Machine Guns, like kind of being involved um, this is a Muse song, actually. So now I have to double check to make sure that that other song was Muse or not. Um, oh, okay. This might be the one yeah, I googled. I'm not sure. This might be the Muse song, but yeah, either way, it, I'm pretty sure it's like different artists each time. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, absolutely a, an inc another incredible pre-match promo video. Um, 
that like sets up this story that's like not again it's like not really much of a story between the teams and more of just like a story about the teams but they did such a good such a good job of of like producing it to where like i'm just caught up in the moment and i'm just so excited for this match um even though they don't have a ton of history and then that plays in a weird way into the finish of the actual match itself but joseph i am going to say i was right um in a weird way because i said uh nirvana but the first promo video the one between um bk and andrew everett was a uh sound garden so i see All which right. is a yeah, grunge yeah, yeah. band and this was the muse song um, yes okay either way but what did you think about pro match rematch video again it's great obviously i don't think you probably have much to add the match itself and the finish was insane what did you think as the match was going on i was sort of wondering to myself why is this not settling down because a uh, part of what I've enjoyed about the workhorsemen is that their control segments fucking rule. I, I love when they just isolate a guy and just keep working them over. And that never really happened here. Uh, they just kind of kept flowing from like brief spurts of offense between both teams. And luckily I had seen the spoilers to the show beforehand. And I was like, oh, of course, this makes perfect sense. They're gonna lose. They can't get their match going. Like, they are unable to isolate and wear down the Motor City machine guns the way they wanted to. And meanwhile, commentary keeps hitting this point that, oh, the Motor City machine guns, they innovated what tag team wrestling is now. They sort of started that style. And I was like, oh, that makes sense now, too. Like, the guns just kept the action constantly flowing. And that allowed them to like stay ahead. So to yeah. the point where that when the workhorsemen are desperate enough to go for the belts and try to make that work like they had against <clears throat> the the Gristled Young Vets previously, it's like, well, no, you didn't put the work in, you know? It you you weren't able to wear someone down. It's not gotten to that point where they're broken down enough for you to make that kind of sneaky thing work. And it lets the guns take the win. And I just thought that was such a that's such a great way of using the actual tempo, the flow, the structure of the match to like tell the story here as to why someone won, why someone lost. Just so good. Like, I yeah, probably would still have preferred like a longer heat segment that was like Southern Tag adjacent. But what we got based on like what happened, it, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible because you're talking about the Motor City Machine Guns, an all-time legendary. I mean, really, one of the when you uh, I've you know hit this point a thousand times, but the progenitors of what people think of as tag team wrestling now. You know, when people think of the Young Bucks match, what they really are thinking about is the Motor City Machine Guns match, right? Like I've said this a thousand times commentary hit it all that but the part about it that is crazy here is just what you said which is that the workhorsemen really felt like they were in here 
make trying to make the Motor City machine guns. And in a way, I don't blame them because the Motor City machine guns, while they are legends, are new to this company. And DPW has a unique fan base. And also, like, why the fuck not? If these guys are going to beat you for the titles, make them look like a million bucks. And that's why you talk about the Work Horseman. Again, I think, you know, this is why, you know, when we talk about lists, we do this whole thing. Like, I think that in a really basic way, when you look at just performances, if you did, like, you know, per capita performance wise, I think that the motors or the workhorsemen are the greatest tag team in wrestling. I think that if you just looked at again, pound for pound per capita performance, these guys are the best tag team in the world. Now where you start to like debate the, you know, who's really the best tag team and all this and that you start looking at, you know, who has the most performances. You'd look at like varied situations going around violence is forever you start talking about like again uh astronauts and they have you know comparative amount of matches but they have more high, high profile matches all this kind of stuff and that's where you start to break it down but if you could just isolate it and you could say purely based on performance skill as a team i really do think that the workhorsemen are the greatest tag team in the world i okay. I, I am so glad that you bring this up actually sure because sure all year i have been seeing people in our circle people whose opinions i trust and it's not a bad opinion to be perfectly honest but i have seen so many people just say astronauts are running away with tag team of the year sure. and they're not it is no. close it's yeah. close i'm it's telling you close. guys you look at the workhorsemen and the things they're doing in so many different varieties of situation by the way we have like a bloodbath in the cage match with violence is forever we're having them like make young teams against miracle generation they're stooging Making... as tv jobbers for ftr yeah. all of it they're brilliant and i vehemently resist <laughs> the idea that the astronauts are far and away the winners they might still be the winners but it's not like a massive gap right all right the workhorsemen yeah. are right there in the conversation no i i honestly think that the work i i i don't think it's much of a conversation if we just talk about skill like sure. i really do think that performance and skill wise the workhorsemen are the tag team of the year I think I the, think issue that the work into... horsemen are better tag team wrestlers than the astronauts in yes. 2023. Yes. And I solidly believe that. The astronauts might have more and better tag matches. Yes. But they are not better tag wrestlers. That's it. That And that's 100% what I agree with and what I was basically trying to say there. And you talked about making a young team, but I also talk about this match where you're making a veteran team. They went out of their way here to bump and sell. And as you talked about, make the story of this match make sense. So it doesn't just protect them, but it also makes the Motor City Machine Guns look better. You know what I mean? Like they did everything here in this match as well. And this is a, this is again, we talked about, I, I talked about it earlier with Nicole. 
Like, this is a very special, unique situation. And when you're able to hit that, that's when you're starting to talk about a, a legendary type team, a legendary type performance, right? Is being able to take a very unique situation and make it work. <laughs> and talk about the commentary. One of the things I loved about the commentary here was Bokini hitting the fucking moves. Like, because one of the great things about the Motor City Machine Guns, and they're, you know, again, being one of the greatest teams of all time with this huge, you know, backlog of everything, is they have a ton of moves with a ton of stupid names. And Rich Bokini kept hitting all of the names of the moves. Hell yeah. Even so if there were moves that they were just setting up for. I'm just like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear you say skull and bones. I want to hear you talk about, you know what I mean? I was just like, I love it. And yeah, like trying to get the belts involved, trying to get everything involved. There was a lot in here, even beyond the bigger picture stuff that we're talking about. That was amazing. You know, when you look at like Alex Shelley and Anthony Henry, two guys oh who yeah. on paper are contemporaries. Right? I mean, they're the same age. Yeah. I think Shelly's been around video. forever. They started at the same time. They both started in 2002. I think one of them is like a year older. Um, but you look at it and people respect Shelly as one of the greatest of all time technical wrestlers, blah, blah, blah. Anthony Henry should be in that conversation as well, but he just unfortunately isn't. But when they were mixing it up together, it was like some of the best stuff. Saban and JD was great. Anyways, we talked this match to death. Everyone should be watching this. And then the finish. The finish was so fucking crazy. They did it so well that I was expecting it to get reversed. When it happened, I was like, this is a dusty finish. This is bullshit. This is not going to be the actual finish. And then it was. And that's the sign of such a great match. Like, a championship match. Like, they... A amazing finish. I love the commentary team all night saying no title is safe. And this was the first match that really kind of hammered that home to let you know, no title is safe, you know? And as um, good as this match is, one also gets the impression that they still left stuff on oh, the table. Yeah. Like there's more here. We could, ah, oh, so good. The work horseman, man. Y'all pay attention. Like, I swear to God, you and yeah. your year end lists, please. Please. That's like that's the um that's the blessing and the curse of the worst horsemen though, is that like a lot of their matches feel like there's a lot left there, but then unfortunately sometimes it feels like we never get it. We never we don't ever get the next match where we get the rest of it. Even the violence is forever thing, like I yeah, still what the feel hell? like that's hanging over that we need it is. more from them, you know. We need more from them, and I just hope we get there. Um either way. Follow this up. It's promo battalion. Hopefully, this was a uh, intermission on the on the real life show because we get a ton of promos. We get Bojack showing up saying, "I'm back home." We get Andrew Everett saying, "I'm too fucking old for this shit," which I loved. I really, <laughs> yeah. it's so cool seeing Andrew Everett just be like, "I'm too old to keep doing this shit." BK, you have to fucking you have to man up and and basically do whatever. Um, BK cuts his promo again. It's great because we don't really get a definitive story between the two. So it's still very interesting to see what's happening. Like I said, Bojack is back. And then we cut from Bojack, the first DPW champion to 
how did we end up here with a vacated championship? Jay Malachi, he makes a joke about people mispronouncing his name. And you talked about it earlier that this was a, uh, you know, the negative, hard to deal with. I saw it in a weird way as a blessing and a curse, um, you know, because while it fucks up with the lineage in the way, which I think that they did a really good job of dealing with it here in this match and with the sure. promo. I also think that it really worked super well because we had a very long buildup between the history and the violence and everything between Lucky Ali and Malachi that this was a really good way to end this story. We got we got the release that Malachi beat Lucky Ali and then Malachi relinquishes the title without dropping it. And I just thought that that was the perfect way to finish such a big, important story of the company. It would have been, you talked about like, oh, they could have just, you know, had Alec Price win the title. They could have done a lot of things there that would have been different than this. Right. I really actually on paper enjoy it quite a bit to be like, this was a really, really important story in the history of this company. We were clearly building to it. It was where we were going. And then they, instead of just like saying, fuck, let's just reset everything. Let's change everything. Let's just, you know, like, let's go with it because WWE signed these guys. We have to just shit can it. No, they like, they stuck with it and they did it and they gave you the finish of the story. And they even gave you that, like, Jay Malachi was such a dominant champion that he had to leave without ever losing the title. And right. I honestly really appreciated that. In a weird, in a way that, like, I just thought that it it actually adds to the story and it adds to the history of this company. Um, no, that's totally fair. And also, like, on just a personal level, like, I'm totally fine with Alec Price not becoming DPW champion. Uh, by the way, he is not my favorite. Um, but yeah, not the worst, yeah. and clearly also not their fault. Um, it's just how things shook out and all things considered, I think they handled it quite well, given a shitty hand, you know? Yeah. And they were really set up in a nice way. It's like Colby is now back. He's allowed back into the company. Tankman has been presented this way, super strong. Um, I guess I might as well just spoil it. You know, Tankman wins. Tankman is the champion. And this is why I say it's very, very interesting to have Tankman win the world championship here on the same night that Bojack returns is that when Tankman was the national champion and Bojack was the world champion, it did feel like there was always a lot of teasing between those two that we were going to get there between them as like, who's the real champion? Who's the real man? There was right. never like this, you know, Tankman is number two. It was definitely like a Tankman and Bojack are equal and we're going to get there and at some point. So then now, you know, Tankman is the world champion. Bojack is back. He lost the title and the other championship is not involved. And now we can finally get the answer to that question. And that is, I think, kind of like delivering on a bigger story that has been was set up early on in the company. So... That's why I say, like, it's nice to have Jay Malachi just drop the title, not lose the title, but just forfeit, move on. It it sets up like a kind of a nice 
detail in the company that has like an interesting wrinkle that I enjoy. But then we hearken back to something that was for a while. It was the big question about what's the, you know, who's the top champion. Um, meanwhile, we get this match. That's absolutely incredible. I just, I think there was, it was, it was really frustrating in the very, very beginning because the, you know, Veda and Bokini were, they missed it when, when, uh, Tankman caught Colby off the top onto the big gut buster and Caprice caught it. And he was like, no, you know, he might've maybe dropped him more, but he definitely caught him on the knee. <laughs> He's like, tell him he definitely dropped him yeah. on his knee. Like, and I was just like, okay, thank you for Caprice for cut- close enough, that. close yeah. enough, you and, know? Yeah. You could tell Tankman was not supposed to take that bump. Like sure. they were they were going for the Tankman doesn't take a bump story, you know. Sure. So yeah. the, the 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 on commentary, these guys are just pros. Like uh, right. And adding to with the commentary by the way is that they are such a big part of it feeling like the entire promotion has a unified and cohesive vision like I cannot say this about most promotions in the world where I feel like DPW knows where they're going. Like, do you get that impression? Yes. Yes. That's what makes it so great. That's why, again, like I said, the stuff with with Ali and Malachi is so much better for me the way that it ended up, even if in other situations it might be disappointing. I appreciate it here because it feels like what they did was they, again, like you said, they had the vision, they were going there, and instead of just like jettisoning it because of a bad situation, they stuck with it. And that's, again, like you said, like it feels like everyone in this promotion, everything in this promotion knows where they're going. For sure. Uh, like there are so many promotions in the world where it feels like individual elements are like clashing against each other. Like even on the biggest. AEW has this problem where it feels like the talent is on one track, maybe the booking is on another, and it just feels like it's not coming together. But here in DPW especially, it constantly feels like everyone is moving in the same direction, they're headed the same way, and they're all incredibly focused on just nailing the points that'll get them to the next show. And that's, that's kind of... That's not something you can really say about most promotions in the world right now. Sure. Yeah, no, exactly. But I can't, Joseph, I can't let you steamroll me here because you're disrespecting the uh, probably 2022 wrestler of the year, Colby Carino, giving a, (laughs) again, I I love to just say that because I didn't like release a list last year to just say that he's probably, he was probably the wrestler of the year. Um, but giving surely just, yours would be Adam Priest last year, probably. Um, yeah, <laughs> but Colby is such an amazing performer here. Like the 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 selling is through the roof. The the action, dude. The when he does the sequence where he cuts the ring in half on the corner attacks, like the first time he does it, you can almost you can see, like. The hesitate, like it feels so real in the moment that he's hesitating. He caught himself. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like he was gonna, he knew what was happening. It was like he really did. He was gonna run buckle to buckle, but he stopped himself 
because he caught himself realizing like, no, 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 I don't, I shouldn't do it. And the commentary, again, like you talk about the commentary, the commentary caught it. And, and Coleman was so good at it being like, he knows that he, he can't give the separation. He can't give the distance to Tankman to run from across the ring. He has to stop himself short to just in case. So he does like, he stops himself, does it a couple times, and then finally he does go. But it's like it's so real. Colby is so fucking good as a wrestler that I, I I like bought that it wasn't a plan. Like he he just did it in the moment. It was so authentic. It was so real. The um the F five off the top where he catches his legs and then fucking dives onto his face is fucking brutal, nasty. Like this match had so much in it that was fucking brutal, violent, aggressive, nasty. It also was like so um emotionally draining. You just again like these guys felt like these are the top two guys, but Tankman is on another level. The promo that's that set us up to this, we we knew that Tankman was on another level, but then we get there and it's just like it's so obvious. And but I want so badly for Colby to be able to make this work. Um, Colby's gear, Colby's gear, and then the rising knee strike, the leaping knee strike, reminded me so much of like the history between Colby and Roddy. You know, you just you see that like you see the generations, you see the 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 history, you see everything here is like leading to us to this point. It's just amazing, and the finish itself, one of the like insanely stupid details that i really loved on the finish was that um the first tankman driver he caught colby out of a, a flying ddt which is like puts him in this position that's similar to a vertical suplex where he lifts him up into the the you know samoan island driver whatever um and then when he goes for the second he does the same thing where he sets him up into the front chancery and lifts him up into the vertical super position that transfers into the Samoan driver. I really liked that like symmetry there in a stupid way that I just thought was really cool. Um, so yeah, I just, this was such an amazing match, um, telling such a deep story and at the end of it, really building you to feeling like it wasn't just a, Oh, the champion left. No, you like really earned the the new champion. You know what I mean? Like it was not just like this is a consolation prize. No, this is this is the real man. And it plays into like I said that now I can see on the on the you know horizon the idea that Tankman still needs to prove now he is the champion, but he needs to prove it against the champion that he never beat um in the past. But yeah, uh, this was yeah, I guess this was go. great. I this was probably my match of the night. Uh, yeah, and I was kind of surprised by that because I'm hot and cold on both these guys, to be honest. Like, Colby does a lot where I can tell he gets it, but it sometimes... It, it, it sort of slips through his fingers sometimes, especially when he was working a bunch of those like really long gimmick matches in the last couple months or so. Or he doesn't have the competition to like sort of back him up to what he's trying to achieve. But I think on this night, it was all very laser focused. Like Tankman's the big hoss. It's hard to get him off his feet. Colby's like creating distance, scrambling all over him. Just all of it. Just perfect baby face, 
undersized guy stuff, um, which makes like the defeat all the more crushing because you saw how much work went into the attempt. Yeah, a, a great match, great way to crown a new champion who immediately feels like the biggest deal, like the toughest guy to beat. So good. So much accomplished here. Yeah. You you really made the champion feel like the champion here. Um, and I'm not going to let us get away from this, please. that the hype video, <laughs> while yes. we're talking about music, used the theme song from Bad Blood 2004. Hell yeah. I have seen the Shawn Michaels Triple H video a hundred times in my life, and that was the song. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it so much. Just straight to my heart. Like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Immediate recognition. So good. Um, Post-match, get the promos from the workhorsemen. They're obviously not done. And then, I think, the promo of the night, Nicole Matthews, wine mom Nicole, she's drinking... She's drinking red wine out of a plastic cup, and she says, the only thing that ages better than red wine is Nicole Matthews, and she talks about, um, so she's on a roll here, and she's going to challenge whoever comes out of this main event as the champion, and it's absolutely perfect. Um, it sucks because it does feel like, okay, where, where we end up, she's just going to be a token, you know, challenger for the new champion, but we talked Unless about she's it. she's not. Great. Yeah, I mean, if she wins the title, I hope so, but we'll see. I hope you're I mean, right, but I feel yeah. like maybe, you know? Maybe, maybe. That would make sense. I would like it a lot because she is, you know, the person who deserves the title. But uh And and again, this is ahead. another thing with DPW2 that once again, I cannot say this about every promotion is that they're very good at making it feel like the title can just switch. You know, yeah. Right. and yeah, I I'm looking at that title match, what it will be in January, and I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe it could work. No, but okay. So, like I said, the 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 you know kind of thing of the night. We talked about it. Everyone's on the same page. The promotion's on the same page. The commentary has been saying it. No title safe. We've got the tag team titles. We changed hands. We've got a new world champion, and then the main event: Emi Sankara defending. Let's just say depending. That's really bad. Defending the DPW World's Championship against Miyuki uh, Takase, um, a rematch that the commentary makes a, a you know a very strong uh, point to 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 follow up to say this is a, a, a rematch is set up in a way where it's like from the beginning it feels like i can't tell what's going on here this match feels like it's going to go super fast sankara's hitting her like trademark call and response spots like within minutes of the match starting it's like why are we rushing through the spots what are we doing here and then as it settles in i get it because we get into like something very different than what we've been seeing from from sankara in um dpw so i really appreciated that but joseph what did you think this was crazy like i really did think like from the beginning of this match it was just so different than what we've been getting in dpw i was like shocked i didn't know what to expect and then we got something that really felt 
unexpectable. But uh, I guess, yeah. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought this was really good. Um, there was nothing bad on this show. The floor was incredibly high on this show. And I'm glad that when she's working with Takase, um, Emmy sort of leaves the shtick stuff alone. Like, it feels like Miyuki sort of forces it out of her that it innately becomes a much more competitive, hard-hitting match. Um, I still love Emmy. All the all the times she scratched Miyuki, I love that. Like, she kept getting it in, um, like, part of setting up the Romero special and just, like, in between moves, just scratching at her just to piss her off. So good. Um, this was really good. Uh, I probably still prefer their first match, the one in Japan, um, but this was incredibly solid. Um, and yeah, quite happy for Miyuki to win the belt here, honestly. Yeah, it again, as I said, it felt like we kind of rushed through a lot of like what do people expect from Emming in DPW? We like we hit a lot of that so fast that it was like, okay, what are we what's going on here? Why are we and it didn't even cross my mind. Like, why would we be rushing through again the call and the response, the you know, the hair pulling, the scratching, all that stuff? Why are we why are we rushing through this? Like, is this match just gonna be fast? What's going on? And then once we do actually settle in, it's very funny because it felt like Emmy she did the opposite of what you kind of would expect, which is that she she settled into getting into a fucking war, you know, King's Road, chop for chop, battle, bomb fest. Like, instead of, like, the opposite where you, like, do a bunch of stuff and then slowly settle into, like, slowing down and hitting your shtick. No, she like, let's get the shtick out of the way and then now let's go. And then by the end of it, it was just like, it felt like, okay, why are we hitting such big bombs and doing kickout spots? Why are we doing such a, so many huge teases? All this is like, I don't know, because this is it. But but at the same time, they were really reserved to where, like, the biggest high spot of the match was a superplex. You know, like, they were, they, it was, it was hard hitting. It was, it had a lot of big, like, super big drama moments and high spots. But the, the biggest bump was just a superplex. And then, like, the, you know, the drama was built off of, like, huge, lariats and catching a, a spear into a you know into a dragon sleeper like that's the stuff that i love where it's like you don't have to kill yourself but you can also like get huge high spots and drama off of like a lariat and they did a great job on that um so yeah i just thought the flow of this match was so unique and so interesting that it kept me off guard and even though the commentary and the show and everything like told me what was happening where they said no title safe like by the end of it, I was I was absolutely shocked. I I had the same shock in the tag team title match where I was just like, I can't believe that Workhorse been lost here. I did not see it coming. But like I wasn't even set up where I had the same shock here. Like again, it speaks to just how good DPW is because they present these champions in a way where I just I think they're so unbeatable that like when they lose, I'm, I was absolutely flabbergasted and shocked. And I thought just thought a phenomenal execution across the board. Um, and as you said, the floor on the show was great. Like really, like the worst match on the show was still. I mean, I guess you could say 
you know, Bojack versus Oliver Sawyer, whatever. I don't, I would not consider that a match, but like, right. And like, you need things like that to like break up the flow of a show. Like it's just so smartly put together this entire event. Um, And when you have peaks, like the tag title match and the world title match, like just back to back, just yes. What a great show, honestly. Yeah. A phenomenal show. Um, Promotion of the year obviously just great stuff um but yeah joseph do you have any other thoughts on anything else before we before we close it out uh i don't know man watch dpw i'm excited to see nicole versus miyuki like she's been talking about gold in a lot of different promotions and i need one i need one to just take the risk and be like yes here here is the title um yeah like she's working in like how many promotions right now somebody give her a belt i swear to god uh do it i hope it's dpw uh lots of interesting stuff going into the new year um it looks like they they're maybe setting up vif motor city 2 which would be great um yeah i think there's a lot to be excited about i want them to get back to vif work horsemen um more work horseman versus motor city just so much so much that this company can do it feels on the up and it feels like it's just got such a strong vision of what it is and what it can be and yeah i want more i want more from dpw yeah i mean you know nicole's one of the best wrestlers in the world right now of course she should you know win the title but we'll uh Hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. Either way, um, obviously people can give uh, <laughs> give Joseph some money over at Kofi. Um, follow Big Egg at uh, on uh, oh god, what's the thing? It's uh, at that egg so big on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. And then BigEgg.substack.com Substack, for the newsletter. That's what I'm yeah, for. yeah, of course. Follow Joseph at uh, Joseph Weirdness on a lot of different places um either way check it out we'll be back we'll have a uh another special guest and we're i i think the next episode will probably be final gate so in like a week another uh, promotion of the year candidate there yes, actually they're in the conversation i think i think they did a, a they had a lot of really good shows and a lot of good matches and they built up definitely some new youngins which is always a plus for me um absolutely yeah yeah, and either way, if you haven't seen it yet, go back. Go, everyone, go check out uh, Dylan Hale's "Hitting the Cloverleaf." Either way, um, <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, I guess. Yeah, Happy Holidays, everybody. They said that we were trash. Well, the name is Crash, not Clash. They can stuff their punk credentials. Just them that take the cash. They won't charge nothing at festival talk. All they are badges in their protest wall. Fans of white men standing in a park. Objected to Iceland to can in a doll. Black man's got his problems, he's right and deal with it. Tonight, for yourself, real with your white liberal shit. If you can't take a close look at the way things really stand, you'll see we're all just niggas to the rulers of this land. Punk was once an answer to years of crap. A way of saying no, we'd always said yes. The moment we saw, a way to be free. They eventually fighting life to incredible sea. The qualified factors of politics and class Lefty match on street fighters with his big cast 
I want 